0: Father, what a privilege it is to wait on you, the God of the universe, who's longing to to pour out your life into our lives, who's longing to show us more and more of your beauty and your love. Lord God, today I ask that despite the frailness of the words that I may share, that your word would come through clearly. That each person here would know the love that you have for them in a way that changes every part of their lives. But that's a big prayer. But you are an almighty God. So we're just here asking in the name of Jesus and because of all that you have already done for us on the cross, that you would speak to us with power. Give us something personal this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can go ahead and sit down. So about five years ago, actually no, it was longer than that, uh, the five years will come in, in just a second, but in 2012, that was about seven years ago, Leah and I were going to have our fifth wedding anniversary. And you know, I thought as a, a, a young husband, you know, I need to do something special for this. There's got to be something that we can do. Well, it was an amazing experience because God worked it out that we were invited, and I don't normally get invited to speak in Hawaii. But we were invited in December of 2012, which we were married in December. We were invited to go to Hawaii for Army Bible Camp to speak in 2012. And so as we went to do that, we said, well, what we need to do is to take a couple extra days while we're there and, and to get to, to spend a little extra time together to celebrate our anniversary. So we did that after the conference. And, at the, and as we were there, we, we decided that we wanted to do something special. One morning, we woke up really early, long before the sun rose, and we began to drive. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to Maui before, but when you go to Hawaii, what do you think to normally pack in your suitcase? Flip-flops, maybe, swimsuit, t-shirt. Well, did you know that there is a 10,000-foot mountain on Maui called Haleakala? Well, what was that? bed wow she knows you take your blanket from your bed so so here's what happened we we got up really early and we began to drive up Haleakala it sounds like some of you have done this before and you take this long winding road up there and you're thinking am I really doing the right thing you get up to the top and as we got out the wind was blowing and it was so cold there. It's above 10,000 feet in elevation. Uh, it was pitch dark out there. But sure enough, as we got out to the edge, the parking lot was full and we got out to the lookout there and it was packed with people. And as we looked around at those people... Just like she said, I don't know if you can see them too well in this picture, but you can see the big white parts. Those are the people that grabbed the comforter off of their hotel beds, and they were wrapped up in them. And I wish that we had done that. We just had our sweatshirts uh, that we'd brought with us. You had people that had their towels wrapped around them. They're just there shivering up on top of this mountain in the darkness. And when you're cold and it's dark, you're waiting for something. The wait feels really, really long. You know, there's some times when the wait goes by really fast, but this is one of those times when the wait feels really long. So we're there, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're wondering if this is really worth it. We nearly got back in the car and said, let's just go back down and go back to sleep and enjoy what Hawaii's really supposed to be all about. But as we're there standing there, little by little, we began to see off on the horizon. You can already see it there. This brightness began to shine, and my little cell phone pictures don't do it justice, but suddenly... There it was, the sun in all of its brilliance and glory, with hues of red and purple and pink and all these beautiful things. As it maybe it wasn't all of that, but it was beautiful. And these clouds that were there, and as it rose up in the sky, we decided—I at least I decided—you have to ask Leah for herself—that it was worth the wait. It was worth waiting to see the beauty, to see the glory of that sunrise. It was really, really cold, as you can tell, but I was really, really happy, and I think Leah was too. It's a good thing she's not in here that I showed this picture, but it was a beautiful way to celebrate our anniversary as we waited to see the beauty revealed. In Revelation chapter 14, if you want to take your Bible, you're welcome to join me there, but then we're going to be jumping back to Genesis. But in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, it says this, here is the patience of the saint." That word patience is who, uh, in the Greek basically it can mean patience, it can mean perseverance, it can mean steadfastness, uh, here are those who endure. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at how the three angels' messages are given, and they're saying that Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and they're calling a people out of Babylon. In order for us to understand that, we had to look and we had to say, what was the Tower of Babel all about? How was Babylon started? What was it all about? And Babylon, this tower that was built by Nimrod, this city, it was all about self-exaltation. Let's make a name for ourselves. And not only about self-exaltation, it was also about escaping and saving themselves from a future flood. They were were building a form of their own ability to save themselves should there come another flood on the planet. So let's jump back into Genesis. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 14. We saw how Lot made this um, rude choice with Abraham gave him the option of where do you want to go. Lot chose the beautiful valley that looked like the Garden of Eden, and he said, that's where I want to go. And Abraham said, that's fine, I'll I'll go the opposite direction. We knew that Babylon was, was real in Lot's heart, even though he had left Babylon with Abram. And then we see that the, the, the five kings fight against the four kings, they rebel against him, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lives, and they get defeated, and they get captured. And Abram, you know, when you learn to rest in God, it doesn't mean that you don't, you aren't active for God because he calls his entire camp with him to go and rescue this scoundrel named Lot who had not been kind to him and selflessly went and took his, all of his men out to fight this battle to rescue him. When they come back, he pays tithes of all that he has to this amazing figure, Melchizedek, who represents Jesus. And then when the king of Sodom wants to give him, uh, wants to give him the wealth and to take just the people, he says, no, I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich because the God who possesses all of this is the one who gave me the victory today. And it's with that in mind that we ended with this potent verse in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. So you're welcome to join me there in the Bible. We'll also have it up on the screen. But Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, this beautiful promise. This is one of the high points of Scripture. Verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Here Abraham has has refused the the wealth and the, the, the all that he could have gotten from Sodom and Gomorrah, and instead he's chosen to give back to the one who gave everything. And now God shows up and he says, Look, I am your reward. And we talked about last week how how Harvard did that study. Do you remember that? And they, they studied happiness, and they studied over 250 men to see what was it that was the source and meaning of the happiness in their life. And they studied them for 75 years, spent $20 million on it, and at the end of the study, the leader of the study just said simply, happiness is love, full stop. They could have opened their Bible and realized that. But this is really what, what God is saying to Abram. I am giving you myself. I'm, I'm bringing you into relationship. That is the most valuable thing. The, the reward is not heaven. The reward is relationship with Jesus. And that's why heaven can begin now because in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore and He wants to live in you today. What an incredible thing that is. So He says this to Abram and Abram's response is not pretty. Now, as we read through this, remember that Paul references Abraham in in Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, and he says, Abraham is the father of the faithful. Abraham is the father of faith. If you want to know about faith, look to Abraham. Well, verse 2, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. God, God, what are you going to actually give to me? Then he, he, he enhances it in verse 3. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is heir. God, you're not coming through on your promises. How about, how, let me help you out, God. You see, Eliezer, he's a good servant. Let's make him the heir. Well, God's not okay with that. Verse 4 continues, and it tells us that, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. God responds, and he says, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And this is, the Hebrew scholars tell us looking at this, that this is talking about the seed of Abraham. This is talking about the Messiah who was promised. This is this is a promise of Jesus. And as he hears this, verse 5, one of the, uh, says this personal thing that God does. And you know James chapter 2 verse 23 it says that Abram was a friend of God. And I think this is a little picture of that friendship, what it was like is, is God takes him out by the hand and he takes him out and he says, "Here, here, here's how you can know Abram. Verse five, then he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, we actually looked at this about one year ago. We, we had a sermon where we talked about a bigger picture and how God is working on a bigger uh, scale than we can even imagine. Today, I wanted to just give you a little glimpse of what that bigger scale is like. We talked about in that sermon, if you get a chance to go online, you can look at it. I'm trying not to repeat things from that, uh, but a, it's called A Bigger Picture, and it's on our, our, our website under Media and Sermons. But God is giving him a bigger picture here. And when he says, look at the stars. You know how many stars we can see with the naked eye on the planet Earth? About 5,000 if you see both from the northern hemisphere and from the southern hemisphere. About 2,500 on on both. If you get binoculars, uh, somebody recently told me, that you can actually see quite a bit more than that. If you get night vision goggles, you can see even more. But God points him up to the stars and he says, so shall your descendants be. When you look up at it in the night sky, you see just like this cloud of the Milky Way and you you recognize that there's got to be something more out there. And they keep building bigger and bigger telescopes in order to realize this. And I hear that that they're even going to build one that's better than the Hubble telescope. But uh, have any of you gotten a chance to go on the Hubble website and get to look at some of Hubble images? I encourage you, do that this afternoon. It's a great thing to do on a Sabbath afternoon to know how great your God is. But they launched this Hubble telescope and and it began to bring back images of God's creation out there that that astounded people. They were so much more brilliant and vivid than anything we'd seen before. Well, one day they decided back in 1995 that they were going to focus on this tiny little speck in the sky. It was about the size of a tennis ball at the end of a football field from you. So you imagine that tiny little speck if you could even see the tennis ball. And that's how, the, the portion of sky. That's about how big the portion of sky was that they focused on. And they chose that portion of the sky because it looked totally blank. It looked like there were no stars there. There was maybe one or two from our our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy that were there. But really it looked like an entirely blank portion of the sky. For 10 days, they focused the telescope on this part of the sky, and day by day, the images formed into a composite image until finally it came back with this Hubble deep field image of what was out there. And when you look at this image, you can zoom in on it if you had it on a computer, and as you look closely, you realize that every single dot and speck on this image is a galaxy. It's not just stars, but those are all galaxies that are out there. And as as you realize how huge this really is, as you see how vast the universe is, you come to recognize that God is really, really big. And he's working on a really, really big scale. And, And when God tells Abraham to look up to the stars, he's talking about something innumerable, something vast, something powerful. And we'll come back to this in just a few minutes. But I mean, each of those galaxies represent hundreds of trillions of stars, and then you have thousands of galaxies just in that tiny little speck, and you realize that that is a huge universe out there, that there really is a bigger picture than Abraham could even recognize. So he said, look out to the stars, and if you're able to count them, so shall your descendants be. Verse 6 continues, and it says, Abraham believed in the lord and he counted it to him for righteousness now paul goes back to this a number of times and and he points to to this being the key moment of faith in abraham's life and as we read this we recognize one thing in particular he's not just believing what god said but you notice that preposition in he's believing in yahweh He's believing in this person who is making these promises to him. And as he believes that that God is making these promises to him, God looks at him and and sometimes when we think of righteousness, we think of righteousness as the actions that we perform. We think of it as as perfectly keeping the law. We think of all these different things. But but what righteousness is described as here is that, that God looks on Abraham and sees that Abraham is looking at him, and believing that He will fulfill His promises to Him. And He says, that is righteousness. You want to live a righteous life? Look to Jesus and believe that He will fulfill His promises in your life. The promise to bless you, to make you a blessing. The promise to transform your life to be like Jesus. And as you look to Him and believe that, He accounts it in you as righteousness. You might be thinking this morning, well, you know, that's great for Abraham. Abraham had this amazing faith. He's the father of faith. And he probably was just like, yeah, God, I believe that. That's amazing, of course. But Abraham, a friend of mine, Pastor Ty Gibson recently said, you know, when he said this, he's basically kind of like, okay, God, if you say so. And it's a really hesitant kind of... uh, not too sure about the promise but he's he's saying okay i'm i'm believing i'm 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 trying to believe and we know that because if you keep reading in the chapter you go on and you read verse seven then he said to him i am yahweh who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it so he says and i'm going to give you all this land now that abraham's believing then abraham responds in verse eight and he said lord god how shall i know that i will inherit it How how could I really know that that, that this will be fulfilled? Wait a second. I thought he was righteous because he's believing in the covenantal faithfulness of God. I thought that he was was accounted righteous because he believed, and, and here he is already doubting. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you feel like you have doubts, you have questions about God, don't let that stop you from coming to Jesus. If you open a crack for Jesus, he'll take it. He just wants you to look to him as the one who will fulfill his promises in your life. Keep looking to him, keep looking, and he will see you through. Well, if we we looked at this in detail about a year ago, I'll summarize it right now. How God shows up to him is he does this amazing ceremony where he takes three sacrificial animals, he divides them in half, or he tells Abraham to do this. He says, take these three animals, cut them down the middle, and divide them in half. So he takes these animals. It's a really grisly scene to think about. And he's dividing these animals, and they're split in two, and now he has a pathway between them, and there's also some birds there that are also sacrificial birds. And this would have made perfect sense to Abraham because back in the day, you didn't just go get a lawyer in order to form a contract of agreement. But you would actually... Do something like this if you wanted to become a vassal to a lord, you would divide an animal like this and when you walk through that, you were telling your lord that if I don't follow through on my promise, may I become like that animal that was ripped into. Now, I believe that Abraham probably walked through there as part of the covenant. It would have been what made sense to him. It would have been what he would have done to say, I want to be faithful to you. But what the Bible tells us is not what Abraham does, except for that he drives off uh, the, the vultures who are coming down on the meat. But what it tells us is what God does. As we look down in verse 17, it, it, it highlights that, that the covenant is not about who you are. It's about who Jesus is. And what he will be to you. Verse 17 says this, And it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Now that language comes directly from Mount Sinai, where God appeared in all of his glory. In other places in the Bible, this flaming figure shows up and he walks right through the middle of these pieces. It says, Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And God is saying to him, look, if I don't fulfill this covenant, if, if you break this covenant, if, if, if this doesn't work out quite right, may I be ripped into... Basically, he's saying, I love you more than my life. That's the kind of belief that I have in you. That's the kind of value that I, I have in you, Abram. And that's exactly what he wants to say to you today. Verse 18 goes on and on. The same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And that word covenant, bereath, is basically to cut a deal, to cut an agreement, to, to make a contract. It's it, The idea of cutting is there. And that, we'll come back to that later from, from Daniel chapter 9. But on that day, it's God who's making the deal. It's God who's making the promises. It's God who's saying, I'm going to come through for you. I will do this. And then chapter 16 comes in verse 1. When you read this, on the one hand, it it makes you want to, to hide your face and to be ashamed of who Abraham was. But on the other hand, it gives you hope about who God can make you to be. That if the father of faith went through this experience, that, that there's hope for you this morning too. Because in verse 1 it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The promise isn't being fulfilled. Yeah, it's great that God makes me all these promises. It's great that he says that he'll do this. But where is God in my life right now? I'm tired of waiting. Sarai says, I still have not borne any children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant, whose name was Hagar. Now, a fascinating thing here is, how did she get an Egyptian maidservant? You remember the story that we talked about just a few weeks ago? They went down to Egypt, not at God's command, but to escape from the famine, and he lied about who Sarai was, that he was, not, didn't, didn't disclose that Sarai was his wife. And then, the Egyptian pharaoh sends Abraham out with much wealth, we're told. I don't know exactly where Hagar enters the picture, but it could be that, that she was a special gift to Sarai from Pharaoh himself. It's possible. So here you have this picture of of a previous unfaithfulness, even just by the reference to egypt to the Egyptian maidservant, and and Sarai looks and she says, Ah, I have my maidservant. Verse two. So Sarai said to Abram, "See now." The Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Who is she blaming? God. So often, we blame God. Well, if God had showed up, then I could be faithful to him. If God had done this, if, if God, she says, if God, God is the one who restrained me from bearing children, then she says, please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children by her. You see what she wants to do. She says, God needs a little help here. God can't get the job done. And so what we need to do is to assist him. We need to come alongside him and to assist him in getting the work done. Because God can't do all of this. And it's just not working out, Abraham. My question is, do I do the same thing in my life? Do I try to help God out? Do I I doubt his promises? And so I I step in to provide for myself. And and maybe I'm unfaithful in small things because I think, well, if I'm unfaithful, at least I'm providing. And and it's all for a good purpose. I'm headed in the right direction. As she's saying that she wants for something good. She wants for this heir to be born. She wants for what God has promised to come true. But this wasn't the way that God had promised it. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. It's fascinating to see how Paul takes this and he uses it for an experience uh, to explain our daily experience when it comes to the covenants. Uh, if you look in Galatians chapter 4, and verse 22, Paul's talking about the Galatians, the Galatians who are, are being really foolish because they're being bewitched by these people who are coming and they're telling them, you've got to keep... The law, you've got to, to keep the law more faithfully. And he tells them, you know, having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the law? And then in verse 22, he says this, for it is written that Abram had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the, what does it say? The flesh. The flesh. Right, so this is the works of the flesh. This is trying to provide for ourselves, trying to accomplish God's righteousness in our own strength. This is what Abraham was trying to do. And then, she, then she, he goes on to say, and he of the free woman through promise. Based on the flesh or based on the promises of God. That's the difference between the new covenant based on the promises of God, which were given far before Sinai, they were given to Abraham, or based on... The flesh, the promise or the flesh. Verse 24 continues, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, the one for Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Then he goes on to explain that, hey, this Hagar represents what Jerusalem is going through right now. You see how Jerusalem, they're rejecting Jesus and they're persecuting us. That's different from the Jerusalem that's above, that is free, that represents what God is longing to give us. The Pharisees, the scribes, everybody in Jerusalem was missing Jesus. Abraham was missing Jesus when he chose to go through Hagar to accomplish the promise. So what happened in Exodus? You remember that in Exodus chapter 19, actually, the law is given before Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given. The Ten Commandments are given, and God shows up in all of His glory. He shows up in this beautiful way to them, and He reveals to them this law, which can be summarized, Jesus tells us, by loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. But this law is given from the mountain, and, and as the people hear this, their response to it is in Exodus 19, verse 8. It says, Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do is this a good thing not really right actually if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5 when the the law Moses is reminding about the law being given and the 10 commandments are given there it references something similar but in verse 27 it, he says it's good what you're saying but oh that you had a heart to fear me always. If only you actually had a heart to recognize that I'm the only one who could ever do this in you. If only you recognize that this is the heart that has to accomplish this, that it has to be through Jesus and Jesus alone. Then in verse 3, then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. They're trying to make it seem like a good thing. It was actually a common practice in the world around them. Uh, Polygamy was not frowned upon in general. It looked like an okay thing, but by the mess that is brought from it, we know that this was not according to what God wanted for their lives. And this is the key phrase that I want to look at in in Abraham's story this morning. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. You see, he he set out when he was 75 years old. He was called out of Babylon. He's 75 years old. He took all of his household. He took Lot and he left at 75 years. And he's excited. He's headed to the promised land. He's he's going to inherit these blessings from God. He gets to the promised land and things don't go quite right. He runs down to Egypt. But then he remembers to come back. And we read how he's building altars. He's worshiping God. He's he's focused on God. His His focus is in the right place. Unlike Lot, who's focused on gathering stuff in Sodom and Gomorrah. But then time begins to go by and as time begins to tick off he gets tired of waiting waiting can be difficult we get baptized and we're excited about it and then tomorrow comes and then the next day and then a couple of years later and pretty soon do we still have that fire for Jesus in our hearts what God is longing for is for us to know that his love can grow brighter and brighter every single day of our lives. And what would have helped Abraham in that moment when, when Sarai is the one suggesting this terrible plan to go and try to accomplish the promise on his own? If it, What he needed to do was to look to the promises. To remember the promises that were given to him. If only he had taken a walk out and gone out under the stars and remembered how incredibly vast those, the universe is. And we know that it's even more vast as we just looked at, looking at this ultra deep field image and the trillions and trillions of stars that are out there. If only he had looked at this and and maybe God could have reminded him what he later went on to tell Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40. It says, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Look up to the stars and, and know the one who created them all. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7 says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Verse 26 continues, who brings out their host by number, he calls them all by name. You know, if you, if you study astronomy at all and you look at how they name these stars, they're, they're not very creative. They start giving numbers to these stars and letters and codes, and uh, because there are so many trillions of them, that, that how could you possibly even begin to name a fraction of them? And yet the God of the universe says, "I call them out by number, and I call them all by name." And then he goes on to say this: "But by the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one." Is missing of all those trillions of stars out there massive huge bodies of fiery gas that are lighting up the universe with god's beauty and god's glory every single one of those is there because the god of the universe does not allow it to go missing if only abraham had remembered that <laughs> rather than disbelieving the promises If you would have believed in the shepherd who doesn't want any person to go missing. The one who will chase after you every day of your life. Who will not give up on you. The one who breathed the stars into existence. It helps to look at the stars. It goes on to say in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. That's what he was basically saying. Look, why do you, you're not giving me what I need. You're not fulfilling your promises. It's not happening the way I expected God. What is going on here? It's been 10 years and it still hasn't been fulfilled. Verse 28 continues, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Friends, the gospel is not about how strong you are. It's about God's strength being made perfect in your weakness. And I say it as forcefully as I do because every morning I wake up and I have to remind myself of it. And if days go by without me meditating on the goodness of God, the power of God, His faithfulness to fulfill His promises before long, I'm thinking, I don't measure up. I've got to to do something more. I've got to accomplish something more. And my eyes are off of Jesus and they're back on me. And I get stressed out and I end up failing and falling more than ever before. We've got to fix our eyes on the one who gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. If you feel like you don't have what it takes to be a Christian, welcome to the family. Because those are the only people that Jesus can see through. Verse 30 continues, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. What we need is to wait on God. It doesn't matter if it's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Keep on waiting on the infinite God of the universe because by His mighty power, not one of the stars is missing and He won't let you go missing either if you will only wait on the Lord. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint if only Abraham had remembered the promise of God. That's where hope comes from. If you're feeling like you don't have hope in Jesus this morning, go back to the promises. Pick up your Bible every day. Go back and remind yourselves of the promises because that is where we find our hope in the faithfulness of who Jesus promises to be to you. It's from the stars. But it's not just from that. Do you remember what we saw about the 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 animals being cut in two and this path being there and that it's God who went through it? Well, Daniel, talking about the Messiah who would come, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, he receives this vision and this vision says, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He's the one who will cut a covenant and he's not doing it for himself, but he's doing it for you. He's the one who will pass through. He's the one who will be ripped in two so that you can have life. And that's what Jesus did for you as he went to the cross. And as on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who had enjoyed this delightful fellowship of love throughout eternity, experiencing the severing of that relationship. And Jesus is in that moment. He's, he's there and... He has to make the choice. Will he lay down his life for you? Will he lay down his life for you? Or will he come down off the cross and save himself and reject this world and let it perish like it deserves? And in that moment, he decided that you were more valuable than himself. Friends, the gospel isn't just good news but it's the best conceivable news in all all of the universe. It's the best possible story that could be told. Because the God of the universe is a God of selfless love who will do whatever it takes to get you into the kingdom if you only will believe and not doubt the promises and not go and try to accomplish it in your own strength In your own way, to not be like the Israelites who said, all that you have said, we will do it in our own strength. Remember that it was a time of waiting for the Israelites after Mount Sinai. What happens? They get the law and they're said, yeah, we'll do it. And then time goes by. And in that waiting period, they say, what's happened to Moses? You know what we need? We need to make gods for ourselves. And within about 40 days, they're dancing around a golden calf. Why? Because they're not waiting on God to fulfill His promises. Because they're looking to themselves, because they're looking to their leaders, they're not looking to the Almighty God of the universe. Friends, in the end, it says that here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In the end, there will be people who are standing firm in the end. And they're standing firm by waiting on God. They're having endurance, as that word means. Here are those who keep the commandments of God. They they recognize that they want those promises fulfilled in their lives, the promises that are given to us in the Ten Commandments, and they have the faith of Jesus. Now, we don't have time to jump into that today, but this isn't just talking about our belief in Jesus, but it's really talking about His faithfulness to us. And that is what God is asking you to believe. And as you have faith in his faithfulness to you, it will lead you to keep the commandments in his strength. Hebrews chapter 12 summarizes this in conclusion. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is after that hero of faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, since we're surrounded by all these heroes of faith, including Abraham, let us lay aside every weight, And the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's stop living in unbelief. You know that Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that, that anything that is not of faith is sin. That's pretty big. Anytime that I'm not relying upon God, it is sin, the Bible tells me. But when I'm in a relationship with Jesus, He takes care of all of that. It goes on to say, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's that word again for patience of the saints, the endurance that we're going to run the race. It's the same word in Greek. Then it goes on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author. That's why we have baptisms today, because Jesus authored our faith. But he's not just the author, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what was that joy that was set before Him? It's the same joy that was set before Abraham. That, that promise of a numberless descendants. Jesus, as He's there on the cross, He sees into the future and He says, Ah, I may not be able to be there. I'm laying down my life. And He couldn't see through the tomb. He couldn't see to the resurrection. But He said, I want for them to experience that life. And He saw through to what John the Revelator describes in Revelation chapter 7. He describes these descendants of Abraham. And in in verse 4 it says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And then he goes through and he names from each of Abraham's children, from Judah, from Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, from, from not from Abraham's children, sorry, from Jacob's children who were... Uh, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, and Benjamin. 12,000 were sealed from each of these. So there's 144,000 that are mentioned there. this, This highly symbolic number. And then John turns from having heard this number. And you see this in Revelation where he'll hear something and then he turns and looks and he sees the same thing. And as he turns and looks, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, that promise will be fulfilled. There will be a great multitude there before the throne and every single one of them is going to be singing praises to the Lamb. And not one is going to be saying, I'm here because I washed my robe. No one's going to be saying, I'm here because of the works of the flesh. Because that's what Abraham tried and it failed and it caused a lot of heartache. And we'll look at that in the future. But today... Let's look to the promises of Jesus. Let's wait on Him as He reveals how incredibly beautiful He is. And as we have that same joy set before us of Jesus, it will inspire us to let Him run the race through us. Psalm 27 verse 13 says this, I would have lost heart. I wouldn't have continued running the race unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living as we were there waiting on Haleakala, waiting for the sun to come up, we could have lost heart. We could have left and we wouldn't have seen that beautiful sunrise. But when we waited, the beauty unfolded to us. And that's what God is calling. This morning you may not think that God is beautiful. You may not think that He's wonderful. You may not be able to comprehend the cross and we'll be ever realizing His love more fully. But wait. Wait on the Lord and let his fullness, his beauty be revealed more and more to you. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. You know, that morning as we were waiting there on the mountain, we had just begun a waiting period that we've talked about a little bit. It was 2012, and we had just begun this journey of wanting children. And I'm realizing something about the love of God. That God wants us to wait on Him, and He will reveal to us more and more of His beauty and His goodness every day. This past week, we were riding along in the car, and we had our two little girls in the back seat, Abby and Olivia. And as they were back there, that's a... A little bit further back picture, but that's, this is this week. I took it just this week. As they're riding there in the back seat, I turned to Leah and I said, "I, You know what? I think we love them more every single day. You know, it's like you're falling in love all over again. Like love continues to expand. I didn't know that having children, that suddenly my capacity to love would be enhanced. But this is the reality of what God wants to do in our lives. You can always love somebody more. There's always an ever-expanding capacity for love. Love is the only principle that can be expanded throughout eternity because God is love and he is infinite. And God is inviting you to accept him as the God who wants to expand your love circles throughout eternity he wants to enhance your life your relationships he wants to give you the desires of your heart even though you may not recognize them as this and that is to experience true love love for god and love for people so today will we be among the people who wait on the lord here is the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Today, I don't know about you, but I just want to say afresh, just like Abraham, okay, <laughs> I believe, help my unbelief. You are a faithful God and I, I see just glimmers of that and tomorrow I may, I may ask more questions, I may doubt again, but, but each day I'm coming back to you, God. If that's your desire, I just want you to, to raise your hand this morning, just to say, God, okay, I'm opening at least a crack for you. I want to let you in. And more than that, I want to challenge you to wait on the Lord. Take time every day to actually wait on the Lord and ask His goodness. Ask Him to reveal His goodness and His beauty to you every day. Let's just bow our heads in prayer as we close. Father, words can't describe I feel like every week they fall so short of coming anywhere near describing the beauties of what you have for us, God. But this morning I pray that somehow in my heart, in our hearts, that as we walk out of here, that you would give us an insatiable thirst to see more of you. That we would be willing to wait on you. That we would open our Bible each morning and we'd wait before you asking that you would show us your promises, that you'd remind us of who you are, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that we would depend upon you each and every day with every bit of our cares, our anxieties, our burdens, that we would cast them back on you in prayer, that we would open our hearts to you as to a friend, that we would keep on waiting and waiting on you who alone can fulfill the promises. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.